I noticed my catheter bag was filled with blood. And I'm like, is that normal? So I said to the midwife, is this right? She was like, uh, no. It's like every few minutes there was someone coming in and pressing some big alarm and like 10 people would run in and then they'd all disappear again. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm not gonna lie, at this point, I kind of felt like I was dying. I kind of felt like I was dying. Hello, Curl friends. Welcome back to the Curl Squad's Curl Power podcast with me, Zoe Fox. If you're a first time listener, welcome into my loving arms. If you're a veteran, then shout out to you. This is the podcast where we talk about what it's like to grow up as a marginalised woman, facing challenges, overcoming trials and tribulations, building resilience and basically just working on becoming the best version of ourselves while creating the things that really matter to us. Now, I'm feeling excited today. Well, like just of late, really. It's been a wild couple of years sustaining a spinal cord injury at the beginning of the pandemic. Up until this point, it's been It's been crazy with a toddler. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a very interesting couple of years, but I'm feeling more alive, more excited than ever because I just feel like every day I'm stepping deeper and deeper into my purpose. And that's a really good place to be, especially after spending so many years living with anxiety and depression for about a 10 year period. And I remember when I was working totally out of alignment in a bank in the city, hated life, like really hated life, didn't want to live kind of hated life, planning my demise on the tube line kind of hated life. So to be in a position now, I mean, that was, we're talking about 2010, 11, 12, were some really dark days. So to be in a position now where I am just waking up every morning with default mode joy, despite the fact that I've got this disability, it's a beautiful place to be. So... I hope to bring some of that joy into the podcast with me. There's no better feeling than just feeling alive, feeling joyful and feeling purposeful. And I want everyone out there to feel like that too. And it's possible. Trust me, I have been through the pits of hell and back. So I don't know. I'm just trying to let you know that if you're going through a rough stage, you can grow through it. You can learn through it and you can glow through it. So stick with us, girlfriend. So in last week's episode of the Curl Power podcast, I shared my journey of trying to conceive that long old await of trying to be a mama before finally getting spontaneously pregnant, naturally, after all of that. So this week, I'm going to be sharing what it was like to finally be pregnant after all those years of waiting. Was it a smooth ride? I don't know if you're a regular listener <laughs> and you, you probably know me quite well by now. But what do you think? Do you think I had a smooth pregnancy or do you think it was rough as? Anyway, let's get into the episode. So it was June 2018 when I discovered I was finally pregnant naturally in a bizarre turn of events after a five year struggle. You can check out the last episode to hear all about that trying to conceive infertility and IVF episode. So once we finally got our heads around the news that we were going to be parents, it was just mind blowing. Everything that we had been hoping and dreaming for for the last five years was coming to pass. It was such a long wait 
between doing those pregnancy tests and actually getting a midwife's appointment. It's like I just wanted it all to happen immediately because I was so excited. Naturally, you want to make sure everything's okay, baby's healthy. There was quite a bit of anxiety around that. It was like, oh, you know, we've waited so long for this. We just want everything to be okay. It felt like a a long seven-week wait for that first appointment. I think it was seven weeks anyway. But it didn't take much time for the morning sickness to set in. (laughs) Uh, Morning sickness, who made up that term? A liar, an absolute liar. Morning sickness, late morning sickness, afternoon sickness, late afternoon sickness. Basically, I'm sure you're getting the picture now, it was every waking hour sickness. I'm sure I felt even nauseous in my sleep. So this is the point everybody starts saying, oh, have you tried ginger? Have you tried ginger? Try some ginger, that'll settle you. No, it won't. All it will do will give you a strong aversion to ginger for the rest of your life. (laughs) Honestly, nothing was helping. I was so sick, I couldn't eat, I couldn't function. It was just like, it was actually, they say sickness as well, it was actually more like an unwavering nausea that just lasted continuously. And to actually vomit was quite a privilege. It ended up feeling quite a relief to actually be sick instead of just feeling sick. Certain foods you can't stomach, certain smells you can't stomach. Like there's still cleaning products now that I can't even bear. There was um, a method kitchen spray, which is like mint and, and something. And I had to use it to clean the bin when I was pregnant and I haven't been able to stomach the smell of it ever since. So the sickness part, it's not fun. And there's women who suffer with extremely severe and dangerous sickness, which is called hyperemis gravidarum or something like that. I'm not going to lie. I did have to Google the pronunciation. Just to steal some stats from the NHS website, apparently around one to three in every 100 women suffer from this most extreme form of sickness, which often needs hospital treatment. It's that bad. And the more common form of morning sickness, around eight out of every 10 pregnant women experience feelings of sickness and nausea. And for most women, it tends to improve between around 16 and 20 weeks. I know I was sick for a good six months. So it's fair to say my first trimester was pretty savage. I did struggle because I wasn't able to eat. I struggled to hold anything down, desperately low on energy. It definitely wasn't an easy ride. But, you know, I was still trying to embrace the sickness because, yay, I'm finally pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, let's embrace this sickness. So, yeah, sick. Then the next exciting thing to come was the 12-week scan. And this was something that we were just both absolutely desperate for. We just wanted to make sure that that little baby inside was growing well. You know, because it is, it's it's one hell of a ride. You don't want to get your hopes up, but then you're trying to be optimistic. But, you know, you're very aware, especially having been through the IVF process. Just how fragile bringing forward life can be. So we were really keen to get that scan. And obviously there's the natural conversation isn't there about, oh, is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? And I totally imagined that I would give birth to a boy first. I thought I'd just have a son. So now I know this life is growing in me. I'm so desperate to want to know if it's a boy or a girl. 
and there's all of these tests and theories. So I was like desperately trying to figure out whether it was going to be a boy or a girl. I even asked my crystal pendant to swing one way or another, depending on whether it was a boy or a girl. And it swung in the girl direction. And everything I was doing seemed to be like everything that I, all of these little tests that I was doing were like pointing in the direction of a girl. So I remember we got to our first scan and Kane and I had already had a conversation. Like he didn't want to know what the gender was. I mean, this was only our 12 week scan anyway, but he was quite happy to wait for a surprise. But I was like, I really need mm. to know who this human is that's growing inside me. So to our total surprise at the 12 week scan, the sonographer was like, do you want to know whether it's going to be a boy or a girl? And I was like, yes. And Kane was like, no, a bit selfishly. I was like, well, I need to know. So um, Kane went out of the room while the sonographer told me that we were having, like, she said she can say with 80 degree certainty that it looks like it's going to be a little girl. And I was like, what? Who even knew that you could find this sort of thing out at the 12 week scan? And I don't think it's typical practice. So I wouldn't suggest trying to get your sonographer to tell you that sort of information. But um, I was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. So then I had to hold it down, didn't I? But then it got the better of Kane as well. And he was like, well, if you know, I want to know. And I do feel a little bit guilty that I sort of took away his joy at finding out a bit later. We were going to do it at the at the um, at the later scam. So I did a mini gender reveal for him and it was a girl. And yeah, how exciting. But I'm like, it might have a tiny hidden penis somewhere. I don't know. So you don't want to get your entire hopes up one way or another. But I thought, OK, everything is pointing in the direction of a girl. So let's just roll with that until we have the next scan and, you know, find out for sure. One of the other things that came up in pregnancy that I was a little bit concerned about was postnatal depression and postpartum psychosis. I mean, these are very real issues that women have to deal with. And given that I'd had like a 10 year stint of anxiety and depression, I was so worried about having a slip up and who knows what pregnancy hormones can do. So I had this sort of underlying anxiety of having a bit of a downward spiral, which actually, you know, it turned out to be nothing more than an anxiety. But when you're pregnant, a lot of these anxieties can crop up. So in preparing for the birth, I decided to participate in some hypnobirthing now, I'd sought some hypnotherapy when I was trying to get pregnant because I did believe that one of the reasons I wasn't conceiving was because I had been living in fight and flight mode for so many years. So, you know, the hypnotherapy was just to help decompress me a little bit. So I thought, yeah, you know what, let's go with this hypnobirthing stuff. I'm down for trusting the body, um, trusting the natural process. And I wanted to get my head stuck into that. So I did. I purchased a course that taught me how to follow this hypnobirthing route. So if you're wondering what hypnobirthing is, it's basically a pain relief technique that women can use that involves a mixture of relaxation, breath work, um, yeah, different breath work techniques and hypnosis just to help the birthing process, basically to help you take a more natural route into giving birth. Because at this point, I was very adamant that I didn't want pain relief, I didn't want epidurals, I didn't want anything that wasn't natural. I got quite militant in pregnancy. 
about, you know, I wouldn't even paint my nails. I was really mindful about what I was putting on my skin in, term of, in terms of um, moisturising and everything that I put onto my body and into my body had to be natural because I didn't want to risk anything happening to this baby with the chemicals and stuff that, you know, we put onto our skins without even thinking about it more often. So to complement the hypnobirthing stuff, I also started a prenatal yoga class, which was amazing. It was nice to go and have that time with other expecting mums just to do some nice gentle movements and get ready for, you know, the incoming arrival. And I used to really enjoy going to yoga. So by now I'm attending these yoga sessions, I'm doing this hypnobirthing, I'm visualising me, big earth mother, giving birth in a pool of water surrounded by tea lights and candles and essential oils. <laughs> Lol. So as this pregnancy is progressing, some other things are coming up. Now I'm starting to struggle with my back, starting to have quite severe back pain. So I had to see the physio for that. I had some physio during pregnancy to help with that. That seemed to help for a very small period of time. And then my backache then all of a sudden migrated into this most intense pelvic pain, which wouldn't go away. So I had to start getting some medical assistance for this pelvic pain, which is also known as pelvic girdle pain, also known as SPD, symphys pubis disorder. Now this is something else that women can struggle with in pregnancy. To be quite frank, it felt like I'd been hit in the crotch with a train or booted by a footballer at high speed. It wasn't a nice experience. It was like the entire area between my legs, my hips, my pelvis, my back was just, it wasn't happy it began to get really difficult to walk up and down the stairs. Like I was on the third floor in a flat at the time. Really difficult to walk up and down stairs. Sleeping, turning over in my sleep was absolute agony. Trying to get in and out of the bath was an absolute pain. I ended up having to stop going to yoga because it was difficult for me to get there. And when I was there, I couldn't get down on the floor or anything. I wasn't having much fun. So at this point, we're in October. So I've been pregnant since June, July, August, September, October. So like we're sort of five months pregnant. And in October, they ended up putting me on crutches because I was struggling so much with my mobility. And it's said that one in five women can experience some form of SPD during pregnancy. Absolutely typical that I should get one of the most extreme forms, isn't it, really? So pregnancy was actually really difficult. This ongoing morning sickness, straight into backache, straight into this pelvic pain, onto crutches. So now I'm also beginning to experience really extreme heartburn. Heartburn so bad that it actually burnt my esophagus. And I ended up sort of like sicking up blood because the heartburn was so intense. And there's an old wives tale, isn't there, about heartburn and having a baby with a full head of hair. I can confirm that the old wives tale in my case was true anyway. So also in pregnancy, I carry a gene for a disease called sickle cell. So I basically have the trait, sickle cell trait. And sickle cell is a disease that affects your red blood cells and the most serious type is called sickle cell anemia. Sickle cell is particularly common in people with an African slash Caribbean background. 
So I've had this trait for all these years. It hasn't troubled me because it's only a trait. But what it does mean is that when I'm having children, if the person that I'm having children with also has the trait, then there's a chance that we could have a child with the full-blown sickle cell anemia. So we had to go through some tests to see whether Cain was a carrier for the gene. I knew I was a carrier, so it wasn't a surprise to me when we had our blood work done. But thankfully, um, Cain doesn't carry the gene, which was a relief because we didn't have to worry about the little one inheriting this blood disorder. So after all these years of longing to feel what it's like to carry a baby, the universe granted my wish and gave me the fullest of experiences. It wasn't an easy ride. So not only was I having all of this pain, but I was also growing a ginormous baby. Like she was huge. Every time we went for a scan, it was like the baby's really big, the baby's really big. Then they start getting concerned about gestational diabetes, which is a form of diabetes that develops during pregnancy. I didn't actually develop that, but they were thinking, oh, because the baby's so big, you know, it was, um, it started to be a bit of a concern. So we're going for the scans and they're saying, the baby's head is off the Richter scale, <laughs> pretty much. And I'm like, what the hell is going on in this body? And my belly was absolutely huge, like gymongous. One thing that I didn't mention in the IVF episode was that I'm starting to put on weight throughout these failed rounds of IVF now. I've put on a good couple of stone. Things weren't slowing down in pregnancy either. So this belly is, is, is huge. The stretch marks are forming all over it. In fact, some I started to form some really painful and sore stretch marks too. Like I've never dealt with an overhanging belly, but like I could see my physique was starting to change. I mean, I was really lucky throughout this pregnancy because we had an amazing community midwife called Sandra. She was just, oh, she was amazing. She was so reassuring. We just had a really good connection with her throughout the pregnancy. So I really enjoyed going to see her for our appointments. One thing that did come up as a concern was the subject of death in childbirth. And I know that might sound a bit extreme, but sadly, my own grand passed away during childbirth. So it's something that is never far away from my mind. So my midwife was able to give me lots of reassurances around that just to try and help me keep calm and to not allow my mind to sort of get caught up into those sort of anxieties. But there are actually some really shocking stats around maternal health when it comes down to black women, specifically black maternal mortality. Now, my gran that died in childbirth was a black woman. And that was in the 1970s. But this is 2022. And black women are still four times more likely than white women to die in childbirth. Four times. And mixed race women aren't that far behind in that stat either. So what's that all about? Now, an inquiry by the charity Birthrights found that black, brown and mixed ethnicity women reported feeling unsafe with their concerns being ignored or dismissed. Now, this really resonates with me because that echoes my own experience. So as this pregnancy is progressing, this baby's really big, as I've said, they keep, you know, talking about the size of this baby and whether I'm going to be able to give birth to it naturally and, and the challenges that, that I'm facing with the pain of SPD. I'm having to start to go in um, to the hospital now for weekly scans to monitor the 
size of this huge baby that I'm having. Now the conversation turns to induction. I felt very strongly against having an induction. It wasn't something that I wanted to do. I thought, if my body's growing this baby, surely it's going to be able to birth this baby. And I wanted to follow my hypnobirthing stuff, give birth to this baby naturally. But as the days started going by, the weeks started going by, we started getting closer to the due date. I could barely walk now because of this SPD. I was feeling pretty worn down by the pain I was experiencing. But I still wasn't desperate to have an induction. But they were like, well, we're going to keep you penciled in for this induction anyway, and we'll see how we go. And I was sort of like, mm, okay. So it was the day before the induction. And at this point now, my feet, my legs are so hugely swollen. I couldn't even fit them into my husband's sliders. My feet looked like huge slugs at the bottom of my legs, totally bloated. I was experiencing a really bad headache, started feeling quite sick. So I called the midwife. Midwife suggested that I go into hospital just to get checked out. Went into hospital for the checkup. And they were like, you know, we strongly advise you to continue with the induction tomorrow because now we're starting to worry about preeclampsia. So preeclampsia is a condition where you might have high blood pressure or high levels of protein in the urine that can indicate kidney damage. So I'm just reading this again off a website. As you can see, guys, pregnancy is pretty relentless. So they say my, ble my blood pressure is quite high and they're a bit concerned. It's not exactly at preeclampsia point, but you know, they wanted me to go ahead with the induction as planned. So I was like, all right, you know what, by this point, I'm pretty beaten down anyway, because I'm having a really difficult time. I just want to get this baby out now, meet this little human and get unpregnant. But I'm also, you know, if the doctors are saying this, then I don't want to take any risks that might jeopardise my health, you know, given what happened to my gran in childbirth. Just didn't want to take any risks. So I turned up the next day, freshly washed hair, ready to give birth to this child, ready for my induction. We went in to have the induction started. So they used a method with um, a balloon, it's called a Foley balloon. It's like a water filled balloon that they put in and they try to basically get your cervix to open with this balloon thing. So I had this balloon in, I had my hospital bag and I was all settled in, ready, had my little tea lights as part of my hypnobirthing stuff. I was in the hospital bed, so I put my little tea lights around, got a nice little sort of vibe going while I was waiting for this labour to begin. So I ended up having a couple of days of really slow contractions, nothing much happening. In fact, that balloon came out, it wasn't supposed to, but this balloon came out. Then they decided that they were going to put me on a drip to start speeding things up because everything was so slow. So I got admitted into the labour ward. At this point, I was disappointed because I really did want a water birth. But, you know, the induction wasn't going as we'd have hoped. So the water birth was now not even an option, which was quite disappointing. So I had to go to labour ward, got into labour ward. And then because of the speed um that things were going at now because I've had this drip to start the induction it was recommended that I have some pain relief so we ended up with a with an epidural I was absolutely petrified at having this spine injection but I did it and actually once I'd had that I was feeling really good because I couldn't feel anything but before that I was using a TENS machine to try and help me with some of the contractions so this was a good couple of days now so I'm definitely ready to have this baby 
So I'm on the labour suite. I've got a catheter put in. My waters have now broken. I'm like, I'm wetting myself. I'm wetting myself. They're like, you're not. It's just your waters. I'm like, no, I really... Yeah, I need to go to the toilet. Well, you can't go to the toilet. You've got a catheter in. But I need... Yeah. So I was quite excited at this point i'm thinking we're going to be meeting the baby soon it was a nice night shift a really nice nurse called rose it was nice and peaceful and then in the morning everything started to change there was a new midwife in she came in with a bunch of students and i was like you know what i don't actually want to have a whole room full of students please and the nurse was like, well, if you don't want all of these students, then we're going to have to leave. Sorry, that wasn't a very good German accent, was it? But um, no disrespect intended. <laughs> so she was basically saying that she needed to be with the students. There was stuff that they needed to do. So she'd have to leave. And she was going to leave me with a newly qualified midwife who would keep an eye on me. So off she went and peace was restored once again. I just didn't want to be spectated do you know what I mean I just yeah I just didn't want it I wanted it to be a nice quiet room so time goes by I'm not feeling too good I'm feeling really tired I'm feeling quite shivery I'm just not feeling well I started to have this overwhelming sense of impending doom something didn't feel right I've been speaking to my mum and dad quite regularly up until this point but now I was struggling to communicate Kane was full of cold, bless him. He was asleep on the chair in the corner of the room and I was just feeling not good at all. Desperately tired, I wanted to sleep, but I had this sense that if I fell asleep that I wasn't going to wake back up again. Something wasn't right, but with this being my first pregnancy, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what was normal of labour. So anyway, I'm sitting on this chair, sort of bed thing with my legs in stirrups. It wasn't very comfortable. They kept losing the heartbeat of the baby. So it was like every few minutes, the nurse was like, you know, sticking these probes up and through my canal onto the baby's head to try and monitor the baby and the heartbeat kept dropping. So it was getting quite intense. I noticed my catheter bag was filled with blood and I'm like, is that normal? So I said to the midwife, is this right? She was like, uh, no. It's like every few minutes there was someone coming in and pressing some big alarm and like 10 people would run in and then they'd all disappear again. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm not going to lie. At this point, I kind of felt like I was dying. I kind of felt like I was dying. I felt scared. I felt alone. I could really get a sense of feeling my grand's presence. It was weird. I felt like she was in that labour room with me. Oh, sorry, I'm starting to feel a little bit of an emotion now as I'm talking through this part because it was so scary. And I was so frightened. I was just like pouring with sweat, but freezing. I was shaking. Shortly after, there was a knock at the door. By this point, it's sort of late afternoon now on the 1st of March. There was a knock on the door and the door opened and who came walking in but my community midwife, Sandra. It was like an angel walked in through that door. She looked at me and she was like, what is going on? She knew straight away that something wasn't right. She came in and she started mopping my brow. She went out immediately and called for help. 
it took for somebody that I knew to come to see that something wasn't right. I'm trying to say to these people, like, I'm not feeling good. I don't feel like, I don't feel right. I feel like I'm going to die. What's happening? And no one's saying nothing to me. And it took for my community midwife to come in to whip them into shape. So she was like, right, you've got sepsis. We need to get this baby out now. This is serious. So all of my dreams of, of, of natural birth were long gone. Not only now was I not going to be able to give birth vaginally, I was having to be rushed in for an emergency C-section to save myself and to save the baby. And it's it's like, you know, I felt like I was just spinning out of control. I'm sort of like looking at Kane, and it's, you know, this again, it's this going through something so totally frightening looking at him scared before getting rushed off into the operating theatre for an emergency section so it was like all systems go Kane was there held in my hand we went in for this emergency section uh, where they successfully delivered my healthy beautiful daughter now Kane's really screamish so I was really nervous about him fainting but bless him he did all right so I'm sort of like lying on this bed and they put like a, a screen up halfway down so you can't see them cutting but you can feel some pulling and some tugging and then all of a sudden I just heard it was almost like a scene out of the Lion King the way like the doctor just held up the baby and all the sort of like the operating theatre lights were just shining on this little pink prawn screaming out of her lungs and all I wanted to do was just grab the child do you know what I mean just hold the child but yeah they had to take her quite quickly um, and so Kane went with her and they were concerned that because I had sepsis that you know the baby might be in trouble so they took her to do what they had to do we had this vision of, you know, delayed cord clamping where, you know, the baby just lies on my bare chest for a bit while we bond and we delay the cord clamping so that they can get as many nutrients out of the cord as possible. But no, nah, none of that happened. None of how I visualised things were happen happened. So while they were cleaning up the baby, what I didn't realise is that I was bleeding out. So not only did I have sepsis, not only did I have to have an emergency C-section, I was now hemorrhaging. But I mean, fair play to the to the medical team there because, you know, I wouldn't have had any clue of what was going on really. But I was just so fixated on wanting to meet my baby. So then Kane brought her over and my arm's totally dead now. The epidural, whatever they'd given me, had just affected my arm so I couldn't feel my arms or move my arms so he put her on my on my chest and I just remember just thinking my daughter you know she looked at me and I looked at her and it was just this beautiful moment a really beautiful moment I was taken back to the ward in total shock I'm on all of this medication now to try and sort out this sepsis I'm weak I'm tired I'm scared I'm like my worst nightmare of a 
pregnancy, of a labour had just manifest. Now I'm responsible for a brand new human. After going through all of that trauma, now I'm responsible for a brand new human. (sighs) Women, mothers, incredible beings. What the world needs more of is women in power, in positions of power, in positions of influence, because women, we are amazing. Sorry, I'm totally getting emotional (laughs) through this episode and it's made me realise that, you know, there's still a lot of stuff that I hadn't had the opportunity to address from the trauma of this pregnancy, this birth, because it was just one year then after having my daughter adjusting to motherhood that I ended up with my spinal cord injury. So the trauma of this labour and this birth sort of got pushed to the back of the queue. Ah, but what a species we are, ladies. What a species we are. So it's quite difficult when you've got really rigid ideas of how you want things to go. And this sort of echoes the sentiments of the last episode about trying to control outcomes. It's really difficult to control outcomes, especially with things like pregnancy, birth, because there's so many contributing factors. What we do need to be able to do, though, is allow ourselves the grace to acknowledge the stuff that we go through and the impact that that has and how hard it is to bounce back from these things. After five long years of being desperate to become a mom, to become pregnant, I didn't really want to complain when it finally happened, but it wasn't an easy ride. I didn't have a good time. I don't regret it one bit because I've got the most amazing small human now, but it wasn't an easy ride. So when we look at the subject of maternal mortality for black women, for mixed race women, I just felt as though they weren't taking me seriously. I felt as though they didn't read my pain. I felt as though they didn't really understand how I was feeling. And like I said, it took for somebody I knew to come in and and to see that I wasn't right. Now, I come from a line of strong black women, Caribbean women of African origin. And we know how we ended up in the Caribbean, don't we? Just in case there's anyone listening that isn't familiar with the story of how black people ended up in the Caribbean. It wasn't by accident, it was through slavery. So I come from generations of having to endure pain and I'm from a line of survivors and I see black women going through so much and there's this whole notion of this strong black woman. But what if the black woman doesn't want to be strong? What if the black woman wants to be vulnerable, wants to be seen, wants to be soft, wants to be protected, wants to be understood? We're sick of this strong black woman trope. It's not helpful because we're just human within it. We're soft humans. See our pain, see us, know our story, understand where we've come from and understand why we present the way we do. Just because we smile through the pain doesn't mean that the pain is any less. It means that we've had to become accustomed to dealing with things in a certain way. 
because we've come to learn and we've come to understand that our tears mean nothing to no one. Nobody's coming to save us. So we smile through the pain and do the best that we can to get through each day. So what can we do to improve black maternal health? Because we can't keep losing women like this when they're about to give birth and embark on their greatest journeys. Like I know firsthand. Sorry guys, this is a really emotive one for me today. I grew up with first-hand experience of seeing what it's like to live with the legacy of a woman dying in childbirth. I've seen the impact that that's had on my family. I've seen what it's been like for my mum and my uncles to grow up without their mum because she died in childbirth. So this one's quite real, it's quite raw. And I didn't expect myself to, to feel so emotional in the delivery of this podcast, but it's so real. So please, I want everyone to do a little bit better to see black women, to know their struggle, to know what they go through and to recognise their pain. And let's be done with this strong black woman stuff, okay? Because this strong black woman ideology is seeing women die. And that's got to change. Hi, Carl friend. This one got really emotive, didn't it? You know, it wasn't quite how I was expecting the episode to go down. But I think there's some really important points that I've raised. And I'm just giving thanks that I survived to tell my story. So please, for all the other black women, the other mixed race women that didn't survive childbirth to tell their stories to raise their children, please make sure that they have not died in vain. Please share this episode. Please let's do what we can to raise this issue of black maternal mortality rates. Something has to be done here. Something has to be done. So, Carl friend, I'm sorry if any of the content of this episode was triggering for you. Please do seek out therapy if you need it. Please share this episode with anybody that needs to hear it. I'm sending you so much love, Carl friend, to all my sisters who are going through stuff, growing through stuff. We're in it together. If you'd like to support this episode, as I've said, please share it. You can support the podcast by leaving a tip on buymeacoffee.com forward slash curl squad. Yeah. The tail end of this podcast sort of just feels so insignificant. You know, the usual spiel just doesn't feel doesn't feel right because of the weight of this episode and the realities that we're dealing with here. So I'm going to leave it on that note, Carl friend. Next week, we're going to be talking about suddenly becoming responsible for a small human life after enduring such trauma. Carl friend, I'm sending you big, big love. Please come and follow us on the socials at zoe.e.fox for my personal page on Instagram or you can find us across platforms at The Curl Squad. I'd really love to hear from you if you've had your own experiences of pregnancy and labour. Please slide into the DMs or tag us on your socials and share with us your pregnancy and birthing experience. I'm wishing you all the blessings the universe has to offer, Carl friend. 
big, big love. Until next week. Peace out, girlfriend. I'll catch you then.